Well, today is the second Sunday after Christmas. It's also the Sunday of Epiphany, since yesterday was Epiphany, and today is the clo- Sunday is the closest to the sixth. It's also remembering our, the baptism of our Lord um, Sunday. So there's a lot going on on today. And uh, because there's so much I had to choose what we were going to consider, and I chose the baptism of the Lord, and I thought very appropriate since we just had Hill's baptism, and we celebrated that together. And now we would take the opportunity today, to remember, all of us, to remember our own baptisms and what that may mean for us. Now, as you, um, if you think about uh, what we have read so far this morning in our scriptures, um, in our reading from Genesis chapter 1, we hear how God's Spirit hovered over this watery void and began to order, um, create order out of chaos, creation, creation out of nothing. And that's a powerful understanding of this creating God that we love, that we worship, and that we glorify and praise. And that's why we gather together today. It's because we have this God, almighty God, creating God. And then we had this reading from Acts chapter 19. Kathy read that for us. And as we think about you know, Paul traveling um, to Ephesus, and as, as, the, as the book of Acts kind of records the early history of the church, the beginning um, of, its, of its, um, well, its baptism by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and then the church begins to grow from Judea and then Galilee and Samaria and then into the broader empire. And Paul, as is traveling as he did all over, as he makes his way to Ephesus, he encounters these disciples who are teaching and proclaiming the good news, and they have been baptizing with John's baptism of repentance. And as Paul, you can kind of can imagine the conversation that probably took place, as he's listening to these disciples talk and listening to them preach and kind of out, lay out their understanding, he begins to see that something is missing, something's not quite right. And so he asked them a very kind of a question that we don't ask very often. Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, these group of men kind of begin to look at each other and, and they say, well, we, we've been baptizing with John's baptism of repentance. We've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, well, we need to, you need to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And then that will bring in this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you will be able to, to proclaim the good news fully, more fully. Because he understood that the repentance was incomplete. This, this baptism of repentance that John brought forth in the, in the Jordan River, this was incomplete. This was preparing the way for the good news. This was preparing the way for Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to enact something grand, create something new, a new order. And so he begins to correct that. And now we land on this gospel passage we find in in the first chapter of Mark. And this has always been just an incredible Um, the the Gospel of Mark in and of itself is amazing because it moves with such rapidity. It is just so fast. 
Um, you can sit down. We could sit down and read that whole book with, in, the, in the time we have left. We could pretty much finish it. It moves so fast. It covers so much material, and it, it does it in such immediacy. Because probably the Gospel of Mark understood there was an immediacy to this, that this, God was doing something incredible and amazing, and it need, we needed to proclaim that immediately. Because time is of the essence. Our time that the church has is of the essence. The time that we have to proclaim the good news is critical. And Mark understood that. I asked this question in our earlier service. I'm going to ask you, who has not seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Just raise your hand if you've not seen it. This movie is incredible. Most of us in this room have seen it. And it's, I'm not talking about the gore of it or the intensity of it. Not really. I'm talking about how it starts. It starts from that cemetery following World War II in Normandy. That cemetery. And then... 45 minutes of this movie elapses and it feels like two minutes. It happens so fast because it openly goes from that cemetery in the modern time back to 1944 and that D-Day landing and it's just bam! An event that changed the world, an event that changed men's lives, people's lives forever happens in the course of just a few minutes. And that's kind of what Mark does here in these opening verses of, of, of the gospel. Chapter 1 moves so fast. If you go to chapter, chapter 1, verse 1, it pretty much says this is, the, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our introduction to the gospel. The gospel writer is telling us right now, Mark is saying, this story is about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then it goes right into preparing the way. That is, is echoes from the Old Testament prophets. That, that, that God is going to send someone to prepare the way for the Lord. To make the way straight. To make a level plane for the Lord to come and do his work. And then in, chapter, in verse 4 of chapter 1, we land with two grown men. John the baptizer, and Jesus Christ. Mark is not concerned with the birth narratives or the childhood stories of Jesus Christ. That's not his concern. There's no, there's no story of Mary and Joseph making their way to Bethlehem. There's no story of the Magi making their way to visit the, this child king. None of that. By verse 9 in chapter 1, Jesus is a grown man, John the Baptist is a grown man, and they're about their work. I invite us to hear just how this moves. In verse, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, we read, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. 
I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. In the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. May God bless the reading of the word. You see how fast this thing's moving? There's some, there's some significant pieces in these few verses. And I want to kind of point those out, particularly as we have celebrated um, Hill's baptism and we will remember our own baptism here in just a couple of moments. Think about what has happened. This, this just began with, well, let's begin with John the baptizer. He is dressed as, well, he's got this camel hair coat on. And he's got a leather vest tied around his waist. And he eats locusts and honey. And these are all recalling images of the ancient prophets. That's why Mark gives us this image, this description of John the Baptist. It's recalling Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah. These prophets who lived in the wild, who brought the wild prophetic words to the people of God who ate locusts and honey. That's why we're told what he looked like. It's to bring forward the prophetic word of God from the Old Testament, from the people of God to the New Testament, to the people of Jesus Christ. That this is all one story that's being continued as God continues to call God's people John the baptizer is about calling into repentance, preparing the way for what God is about to do, to send the Messiah, the Son of God, to do miraculous and amazing things, to usher in the kingdom of God. And then we have Jesus. In verse 9, we begin to read about Jesus. And if we're careful, and we look carefully at this passage, what does Jesus really do? What does he say? Not much. Not much at all. In fact, Jesus' um, position in this part of the story, in this part of, of, his, of his story, is passive. Other than arriving at the Jordan River and entering the water, Jesus does little else. Rather, God is the one who is acting. God, the Father in heaven, that's who is acting. This creating God who, whose spirit hovered over the, the watery void. This, this God who sends the prophets who wear camel hair and leather belts and eat locusts and honey. This is the God who's now acting and speaking in this passage. And let's look at what this God does. This God tears open the heavens, tears open the fabric between heaven and earth. 
tears open between the, the, the fabric between the divine and us mere humans. The creator and the created order. This is torn apart. You know, I, I'm not a seamstress or a tailor by any stretch. I can barely, I can barely sew on a button. But I do believe that if I had a piece of fabric and I cut it with a pair of scissors, you could probably match it up and, and you could probably make it fit like it looked very similar to what it once was. But if we take that same fabric and we tear it, it's uneven. It's rough and tattered and it's probably impossible to make it look like it once did because the edges are torn Frayed, forever changed. And that's what God, the heavenly Father, is doing, is he is forever changing the distance between heaven and earth, between the divine and human. It is torn apart. And then we see this Spirit of God descending upon, upon Jesus from that torn heaven, from that torn fabric, the Spirit of God descends and lights on Jesus as a dove, as gracious as a dove. The power of the Almighty God, creating God, that creates all that we know and don't know, that kind of power is descending from this torn fabric to rest upon Jesus and graciously and beautifully as a dove. That's the marvel of this account. That's what Mark wants us to understand, at least part of what Mark wants us to understand, is that God is doing something so amazing and loving and powerful that only God can do it. Tear apart the heavens so that the Spirit can descend and rest upon Jesus who is with us, lives among us, shows us, touches us, is present with us in this profane world. That's how much God loves us. To tear his own creation. That we can be in a relationship with him. A relationship that is loving that is possible only by God's action that we understand as grace. We just witnessed and participated in the baptism of Hill, who was an infant. Hill doesn't know what happened. Many of us here were baptized as infants, and we don't remember that day. Not cognitively. But it happened. And it happened because God's grace invited it to happen, allowed it to happen, and empowered it to happen. For each and every one of us who have been baptized or will be baptized, that, that's the kind of God that we have. A God that goes before us in grace that we call prevenient grace. This grace that meets us at every corner that we can never go anywhere and not be in the presence of God's grace. That grace that draws us to God's self because God wants us, 
wants to be with us, wants to be in a relationship with us, wants us to love him and him to love us. And it's the same grace that justifies us to be in a relationship with God. Even as sinful people, even when we repent and the Holy Spirit descends upon us and justifies us, that we can be in a relationship with God and with one another as we were created to be. And that's the same grace that will work through Hill and to, be, to, to move him towards perfection, that he will love his parents and love his sibling and love us perfectly. And it's the same grace that moves through us and for us that we will love Hill perfectly. That's why we baptize infants, because this is God's doing. This is God at work in our lives, tearing open the heavens that the Spirit and the kingdom of God will be present with us, in us, and through us. We're going to remember our baptism. And like I said, we, many of us won't remember cognitively that day. But what we can do is remember that we are part of God's family. We were initiated into God's family, the church. And if we haven't been baptized yet, we can look forward to that day, knowing that one day we can be initiated into God's church, into the family of God, by God's grace. We are God's people. We can remember that God first loved us. We can remember that God first reaches out to us. We can remember that God's grace draws us to himself, justifies us to be with him, and sanctifies us to love as he loves. Perfect. We can remember that we are God's people. Called to move into the world. To be the kingdom of God. To show the world a better way. The only way. To be Christ's people. To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. To be made full complete as we were created to be. That's what we remember today. And we're given this, this simple element of water, one of the most basic elements in all of creation. We're given this element to touch and to feel and to know that God is doing something, has done something, and will do something in our life and in the world. And it's as, as powerful as tearing open the heavens it's as beautiful and gracious as a descending dove. Because this is God's act. That's our focus today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.